This podcast is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Learn more at nypl.org slash podcast. And to make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Welcome to the New York Public Library podcast, where each week we bring you conversations with world-renowned authors, artists, and thinkers, recorded in front of a live audience in New York City. On this week's podcast, we bring you a conversation with award-winning poet Kevin Young, who will be joining the NYPL family this fall as the new director of the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. He came to the library last November for a talk with chef and writer Gabrielle Hamilton, owner of the acclaimed New York City restaurant Prune and author of the memoir Blood, Bones, and Butter. In this wide-ranging conversation, co-presented by the Academy of American Poets, Young and Hamilton talk about food, verse, and the links between sense and memory. <laughs> How's everyone? Good. That's good. You care? Survived so the nice. rain. Yeah, I want them, I want them to be okay. Um, we're so happy to be here tonight. Um, so, I guess we got to talk. Um, <laughs> I was uh, going to cook. We can do a little cooking demo instead. Yeah, we can do kicking overhead the overhead mirror thing. Um, do you want to talk about the show first, or you want to talk about the show later, or Mind of a Chef? Yeah. I'd love to talk about it. It was great. What can I tell you? What would you like to know? I mean, I'm just curious uh, where you go, what you're interested in in it. How does it differ from, say, Blood, yeah. Bones, and Butter, like you're, which you know, we can talk about too? The Mind of a Chef um, is produced by ZPZ Productions. ZPZ, they are the people who produce Tony Bourdain and yeah. Parts Unknown. And um, the difference in that television to any other television I've ever done is that they give you the time and space to be actually you in all of your nuance. And regular television tries to get you very quickly and very small, reduced to kind of your most egregious self, your, (laughs) your loudest you, your most abrasive you, anything that's like flashy and soundbitey and um who is any of those things all the time not i so the mind of chef really um god gives you some time to be all of you subtle you that's good yeah writing does that too though of course don't you think i mean isn't writing the place where that is that where it first happened for you i mean I, i know it happened that way for me but poems are so different than prose which i also write but not the way you're writing about food here. I mean, I, I love the way you write about it. Much, as much as, is it as much or, or, or the same or different as, as you cooking, you know, which I experienced the cooking before the book. Um, so I wonder about that. Okay, I just lost you completely. I know, I'm, but it's I'm like, just um, I'm running yeah, around. That's like why it's a conversation, right, not an interview. Yeah. So. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, is, is the page a place where that... Discovery, or you can open self. up and yeah, expand yeah. and be your nuanced self, and yes, of course, that's the. Um, um, it's so fun for me to, and all of us, I think, to have the time yeah. to um, get it the way you want it to be. I think that's actually the hardest part of writing is um, not only presenting yourself the way you'd like to see yourself. I mean, in memoir writing, at least, right. we sort of want to. Um, 
package ourselves. Even in our um, flawedness, yeah. we also want to package ourselves in a way that's like, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you the story about when I did this hideous thing. <laughs> and you have already packaged it in a way where you're pretty okay with the story, right? right you, right. you, um, your suffering or your greed or your avarice or your ugliness is kind of funny yeah. or charming or heart tugging so to interesting. get some crap down on the page that's pretty actually true and yeah. um <laughs> doesn't reflect you the way you just wish you were right that shit is hard <laughs> no it's true <laughs> i find that hard it's funny cuz i think of confessional poetry which is such a specific thing but also had a time you know all poetry is confessional in some way but it had this like time frame when, of course, sort of, we the confessional poets were there in the '60s. Say, I think of that as different from memoir. And I don't know. For me, when I was writing Book of Hours, my last book, I was really thinking a lot about my dad, um, who had died <laughs> ten years before um, when I published it. Um, but I'd written those poems a lot, and I thought, I think after that, and I don't, I wonder about memory with you, but I thought after that that I wouldn't write about him again. I wrote about him right away in this burst in a book called Dear Darkness, where I first published these food odes. And uh, then I thought, oh, I'll not write, you know, like... Done. Like, yeah, yeah. That you know, material I, I, is... <laughs> yeah, I wrenched it out, dry. you know, mm-hmm. um, which was very hard, you know. Um, but then did you go back and discover that, oh, there's so much more I could say yeah. about my dad if I position myself in a different way or... Yeah. Um, and time does that to you, right? It's like the painter. How do you decide if you're going to paint the entire wilderness landscape or you're the painter that gets down onto the pistol inside the flower? Like, where yeah. do you set your gaze? And you could write the story of the flower or the trees of the wilderness from right. any, within any frame or container. Right, Sorry, right. I, no, I love that. I think. So I'm just wondering, your dad's well, still probably pretty rich for Yeah, you for well, and it's just, it's a fact, right? You know, the fact of his death doesn't change, doesn't go away. And I, one thing I admire about painters uh, or artists, visual artists, is the way they can just do a series, you know? Like you see the Frank Stella show, you know, Moby Dick. I'm just going to do a bunch of them. <laughs> and I love writing in series, but um, it has a different effect. You have to kind of move in it, you know? Um, I don't. Wait, I want you to answer. Wait, keep going. You know? <laughs> um, yes, as everyone of I do, here. I um, also am a Harvard. <laughs> like, look, how long five. did it take? It took like five minutes. Like, I thought it'd be like two, but it took five. You should get an award. I mean, I did. Maybe go like to a college, beard award or, 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 or like, or three. But it needs movement? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I. I, I wasn't my poetry teacher, but I heard someone, a friend of mine said, Galway Cannell told uh, her that um, if you're writing a sequence, it has to get more interesting. You know? yeah. This perhaps seems obvious after the fact, but when you're sitting there and you're, whatever, 20 or however, you're starting to face it, I think you just think it's, that's how it happened. You know? or, and so I'm telling it in, in a sort of, or that's how it came out. And I, actually, one thing I very much admire I mean, uh, about, say, a good film, but also the way you do it, the way you tell the backstory. I mean, the moment when you sort of are, are deciding to open Prune, which you capture, I think, really beautifully in this book, um, and, and think about, there you are, 
facing you know a pretty gross uh, storefront, and then you 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 go back and say you you have this other thing, uh, and and what was that thing? I mean, maybe you can describe it. Yeah, it's um, it's the last thing I wrote in the book. Wow, I had written the whole rest of it, and that last chapter was still um, hanging there because it required so much time um, going back and forth. Sure. So the what you're saying is I come to open a restaurant, I'm faced with a restaurant that I'm about to open, and I don't have any credentials to open a restaurant. I don't, I've never been the chef of a restaurant. I'm, I've not gone to cooking school. Right. And so I have to start to comb the encyclopedia of my entire <laughs> experience to figure out, like, who the hell do you think you are, little lady, <laughs> by opening a restaurant in New York City? And what I ended up resorting to was a long um, two-year period of travel through Europe and Asia, a young 21-year-old experience, right. backpacking, starving, being fed, long periods of pretty profound hunger, pennilessness, not not true poverty, but kind of like, right. God, that Amex office is not going to open for two weeks because there's a strike and right. no one knows I'm here. And um, the way people took care of me and that I actually came to know hunger in context, right. not kind of poverty hunger, no, I but understand a kind totally. of um, profound um, examination of every nuance of my hunger. Like, what would I eat right now if I could? And if this bus would ever pull over, what sandwich would I get if I had the dinars or the mm-hmm. um, yeah. rubles or whatever the local currency was? And so that came to be, for me, enough of a credential on a otherwise non-existent resume for opening a restaurant. I'm like, well, I'm a really good cleaner and I'm really hardworking <laughs> and man, I know how to make food that satisfies appetites. Well, and satisfies that. I mean, sometimes I think it's simple or basic, but it's more like primal. That primal aspect of ourselves that I think poetry goes to, too. Um, you know, and there's this real hunger, as it were, for that. Um, and it's funny because you mentioned hunger because I was going to ask you about that. That's one of the things I wanted to conversate about, as they say. But can I back you up for one second? Poetry is a hard sell sometimes. Sure. Whereas the sandwich or the steak free... (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) But, uh, you know... And yet, what happens is we come to these certain times where nothing works except for the poem. Right. The sort of 9-11s of, the, yeah. of your experience, and you're kind of like, I can't walk, talk, sleep, eat, and then the poet comes in and mm-hmm. kind of provides the salve, or the, do you say salve or salve, or puts the words to the things. Yeah. It's wow. a kind of feeding... But you know, then there's the bad poetry. So. <laughs> Whereas, kind of a shitty well, roast beef sandwich really works out. About bad poetry, <laughs> when you know, like bad baseball is not so bad, right? I don't know. You know, there's a great William uh, Matthews poem where he talks about that, showing a really bad poem to um, Charles Mingus. It's you know, a this, bummer. It's and and Mingus is sort of like, uh, you know, there's a lot of that going around. I think he says. Um, and he says, but he doesn't act like it was dangerous, like people act sometimes do. It's like if they were baseball executives, they'd go around and shut down Little League. You know, it's like it's okay to practice and get better yeah. at it. And I but guess we're going to yank the poetry funding out of every high school right <laughs> yeah, now because yeah, of that one shitty poem. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
Because <laughs> we never know when we need it. I mean, I think that's the thing about necessity, mm. which you also talk about. And I think a lot about just that very thing, like what is necessity um, and how poetry is a necessity. And sometimes, like food, we take these necessities for granted. You know, we, we especially here in the States, I think we spend a lot of time not thinking about our meal, not thinking about the words. Um, and, you know, it's election season, so there's a lot of not thinking about words. Um, <laughs> sorry. Well uh, done. Oh, uh, oh. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yet, yeah, at the same time, we turn to them, as, like you said, in these really urgent moments. I mean, what happens when someone dies? You eat some food, you hear some poems, you know? You hear verse, whether it's Bible verse or, ver you know, people reach for these things and these key moments. And I, I think it's really uh, crucial. Um, Do you think there should be more um, daily consumption, though? Yes. That it's not just kind of crisis management or right. um, your low blood sugar um, <laughs> spiritually, like, I need a poem now. Right. I've had a death. It should be like, hey... Here's a good poem for sure. grocery shopping, and That's here's right. a poem for your hangover. Or yeah, here's a poem. When you say your, what do you <laughs> what do you mean? Um, <laughs> last night was the National Book Awards, so it was not an early event. But um, and, I mean, does you know, it have does it have that kind of sturdy usefulness? Mm -hmm. Poetry in the same well, way? it needs attention, and I, you know, luckily we're in a room of people paying attention, but also of, you know, two of our many great poetry organizations, the Academy and Poets House, um, who I think really are, you know, dealing with poetry in that daily way. Um, whether it's people coming through the doors of Poets House, the many, many great events um, that you all put on, um, together or separate. I mean, I think in a weird way, poetry's never been more there and more around. Um, but I also think there is a point, you know, do we want it to be like a sandwich you grab or do you want it to be special? I think you kind of want both, you know, it's a little like that food. I mean, it can be sustaining for the poet also, I imagine, and, yeah. and is the only, no one wants to be a poet. <laughs> That's I mean, an interesting question. I'm not saying no one wants to be a poet, but you don't, you don't go to your parents and be like, in the Poetry, same way you don't say, like, I'm going to be a cook, and they're like, Jesus, we wanted you to be a lawyer, right, or right. make some money, or well, you we say, you to be happy. Well, you say, in a reluctant and, chef. And poetry is, all, like, right, in fact, that's below chef these days. <laughs> you might as well say, like, I want to be a modern dancer, and your parents are just going to go, oh, uh, my God, no. I, I did once have a friend, my, one of my first editors in New York, was like, I, you know, I'm thinking of, of, of writing plays. He was like, oh, God. You know, like, don't, that was below for him, you know, poet, which but I thought was strange. But that's where I think, like, by the time you've decided you're a poet, there's no other thing you yeah. could possibly do on earth. It's the only thing that is going to sustain you or save you or get you through. I mean, not that life is hard to get through or anything. No, no. So, <laughs> I guess, you know, what's interesting um, is how much I related to the early part of your book and talking about that. I mean, you describe it in ways that I would only think of as a kind of Edenic Eden, you know, utopian kind of, you know, uh, living off the land almost, and this great, beautiful party, that opening scene. But also, you know, that's how I learned to love food is just eating it, you know. But eating it, you know, in Louisiana, where my both my parents are from, and, you know, there was the chicken, there was the cow, you know, those things are going to see their way to your plate or um, 
you know, somehow you were connected to it. And just the, your descriptions obviously are lush and beautiful, but I also think that directness, let's call it, of that experience, I really could relate to, but it's, I realize not many people have that experience. You know, and, and uh, maybe they also don't have that experience with poetry. They don't have a direct experience with poetry. I know I was taught poetry awfully. You know, it was sort of like, here's a thing you have to know, but you, you're not going to like it. I mean, that was the, the pitch. Um, and I was already writing my bad poems, um, but I knew they were better than, than this idea of what a poet, poem could be because poetry had saved my life and, you know, that way. And this sort of, as you said, kind of, as a consumer way. or a writer, it saved your life as a... It was a, a yes thing, I think. It was simultaneous. Like, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, I, I was young-ish. I was 13 or so, and I took a summer class. This was in Kansas, where I went to middle school and high school. And uh, I'm still very much friends with this man who taught this class, Tom Averill, who was terrific. Um, and we, uh, he passed out poem, uh, an assignment, you know, and we'd come every day. It was a summer thing. So that was back when we had mimeos. Yeah. So great. Um, They smelled good. They looked kind of cool. I love that smell. Um, But you would write the poem in the day or whatever, and we'd all hand our poems back in. And if he liked your stuff, it would get typed up, mimeoed off, and then the next morning it would be there. But I think the key was that he wouldn't put your name on it. Mm. So there was the next day going in, and there was my crummy poem about um, a deer, um, and uh, though my first poem, which he keeps threatening, he's going to, you know, like, release to the world, um, was about, like, the Egyptian Book of the Dead or something, which I could totally write that poem now again. You realize your um, interests are like that. And so, anyway, there it is, sitting there, and I'm like, you know, the secret thrill was so important if, that if it would have been a public thrill or everyone knew, I think it would have been lesser. You know, but instead, I was like, oh, poetry is that kind of secret thrill. And um, it serves. It serves the humanity. It has hospitality attached to it. That's interesting. By him making you anonymous, the poem is about the poem and not you. Right. um, Man, we could use a little more of that in my industry, too. Like a (laughs) a little bit more about the guest and the food and a little bit less about chef recommends that you eat from left to right or chef says, like, I'm chef... (laughs) I'm, you know, it, that you are here to um, offer and help out. Right. I mean, by the time you get off the planet, it would be nice if you helped out a little bit while you were here, right? I mean, right. <laughs> offer well, something. Well, I think welcome is a great word. I mean, I do think the welcome table, something I think about a lot, um, especially I'm in a food organization, the Southern Foodways Alliance, which is where I think we first met. Mm-hmm. Um I really learned that, but it was also things I had already thought, but I thought it was crazy, you know, like that food could be all the things uh, you're sort of hinting at. Like, you know, it could be um, about welcome. It could be about acceptance, about bringing people together. Um, Very important, especially in the South. Um, And I think that's one reason segregation sort of existed is because if you sit down and eat together, how are you, you can't like just then the next day, like, do the worst thing possible to that person. Um, which isn't to say people didn't eat together sometimes. but And do and, the worst things yeah, possible to <laughs> right. each other. But mm-hmm. we understand like that was the way these kind of, once these tables, there was an important set of uh, dinners and things like that in the South that helped people kind of um, break down some of those barriers. 
I mean, I think it's um, it's dangerous to get into the table as this highly romanticized mm-hmm, mm-hmm. place where if you all just gather around the table and sure. break bread, yeah. we will not enslave you anymore <laughs> and our children will not be obese and there'll right, be right. no more domestic abuse. Right, right. It's like, God, that poor freaking that table. dinner table yeah. is really <laughs> loaded up with all it kinds is. of freight of what it's supposed to um, cure. Right. And well, I think poetry... To not undermine, in fact... What it really does and can do, but just to be careful. Sure. Um, well, I think I think that's one thing. When I was doing this food anthology, I was thinking, you know, food can mean like everything. You can sort of load it with all the stuff. Um, but I do think that it speaks to us in a particular way, and people are starting to understand that, I guess. And to me, I don't see why that renaissance is it a renaissance in of, food or. The the national international obsession yes and fetishization that's going on of food yeah yeah I mean what I mean is <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you speak your mind please I don't know it gets a little crazy for me oh I understand I mean, I mean it's just like if I've been at panels where people say poetry it's going to save us all um, but you know here's the ways it can't work but again it people turn to it in these moments I think. Um, and I certainly know that when my father died, or my great, I more remember when my grandfather died. Like, in fact, someone asked me what I ate after my father died. I was like, I don't remember. Hmm. Like, that would be weird if you remembered. I don't remember. But when my grandfather died, I remember coming back from the funeral, and there were some people I didn't know, like, cooking barbecue outside, you know, in the rain. And I hmm. thought, you know, wow. that hmm. That's like heart right there. That's family. They were probably related to me. I don't know. Um, But it was this kind of care that spoke to me, and I tried to make that part of the poem, too. In a way that um, another gesture would not have translated? Yeah. I mean, you know, to me, it's like music, food, words. Make you feel taken (laughs) care of. Yeah. What else is there? Um, well, you know, how are you? Are you okay? There's um, oh, really? physical uh, contact. Yeah. There's yeah. Um, no. <laughs> no this, um, honestly, it was it was to it me. was another kind of care. Yeah. Yeah. So there was plenty of the hugs and the the crying and the um, wailing, you know. But that was just part of of that. But it's ritual, I guess. Maybe that's the word that's sort of around, like, poetry has that ritual aspect. So does food. Um, the rituals can be over-determined over this. I, but, it but is, it, in uh, fact, care. I mean, there's yeah. no other way to talk about it. And I just, um, even in a more mundane way, I know that, um, I mean, at the restaurant we have a, a meal that gets put up twice a day, and I am never more grateful for such a thing. Just the 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 rigmarole and um, pain in the ass, frankly, of feeding oneself every day. Mm-hmm. Where you got to go to the grocery store. Oh, we're out of onions. <laughs> oh, I got home from work so late. To just have a meal yeah. prepared in front of you is like like having a food nanny. Um, <laughs> Poetry nanny. That's so that, <laughs> It's not about um, death or yeah. you know, although I remember giving birth and I was like god it's so nice if someone would cook something cuz you're right just you have one hand free and the other's wrapped around <laughs> and you're like what is in here that I can shove my face? Well, I think it's also community has changed so much 
you know. And, mm. um, I love a. I, I like there aren't enough people around to help you out. Yeah, when you're, so you um, end up in, thinking about it in a way, weird way. But there's also that idea of the what is it, the good great place or the so you know this phrase um, where you know and like a third place that you go that isn't your house, it isn't your work, but it's you know a restaurant, a bar, a cafe, this place where you rejuvenate yourself in a certain way, or or maybe just like spend that twenty minutes. Preparing for home or work, um, <laughs> and I think that's important, you know. And I think sometimes poetry does that. Um, sometimes poetry is this respite from language itself. Sometimes it's a returning to language, um, and I feel like not to draw it too close, but I feel like food does that. I too. know. I was going to ask not to. Um you know, pierce the balloon of this conversation, but did you have to struggle to um, put these two subjects together? Like, we're going to have a poet and a chef. Um, yeah. And, you know, that could go, <laughs> but you can also feel yourself stretching sometimes, right? Like, yeah, you're like, sure, but I've, this, weirdly, um, yeah, weirdly, I've, um, I like chefs. You know, I feel like not. That's not well, the we weird part. <laughs> um, but you know, weirdly, I've done things with chefs. I guess you know what I love about people who like food and who then respond to poetry is they're responding honestly. They're they're not judging. They're not saying whether or not it fits an idea of what they should like. You know, they generally respond to whether they like it. They're they're fine with it. Poets are yeah, frank. I, I, and well, like you know, when I first read at say the Southern Foodways Alliance, that's I found it so welcoming. Because they were like, that's what I, I like it, and therefore I'm responding to it. And there's not that kind of you. You know, you talk a little bit in your book about the judginess of kind of grad school, or, or you well, know. right at the Southern Foodways Alliance, everyone was drunk on bourbon <laughs> <laughs> and very high on barbecue. So it's yeah, like your poetry is so good, man. <laughs> You're bursting a lot of bubbles tonight. Well, I don't want to burst them. Than... Actually, I don't have any intention to burst them, but I yeah. want to find the allegiance that's yeah. real, yeah, and not the kind of um, fabricated or sure. you squint. You're like, yeah, I kind of see your point. The poetry and the food. And, no, um, no, I, would like I don't want to make an easy comparison. Yeah, find out where we intersect and where we don't. And there's something about cooking, and there's yeah. something about writing. I don't know about poetry or yeah. prose, but Writing, yeah, or maybe any act of generosity, yeah, um, they do correspond. But I would like to find it really. So, what about making then? Do you like about each making the poetry and making the food? Well, yes, the prose or the poet. You know, yeah. I mean, I like the way that they um, are antidote to each other. Yes, for that. One is very social and actually manageable and doable by five o'clock, and that's the cooking part. <laughs> I was like, and then that other very solitary, like I think this is an unfinishable project till the end of time. I'm right. Never going to capture um, the human condition <laughs> on page fourteen. <laughs> well, by but a lot of <laughs> a lot of people aren't trying to write the human condition. Oh well. I mean, and a lot of cooks aren't trying to feed the human condition. I don't know what. You know what I mean? No, if that's your ambition, it's too big. But you want to tell the story of, um, I don't know, your dog got run over by a car. Yeah. There's going to be a little human condition that's going to get in there, whether Absolutely. you like it or not. Yeah. If you've done a good job. Right. Well, you have. 
but then you have to do a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard is what I'm hearing you say. Writing? Yeah. Um, don't you think? It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Was it, It's harder than cooking well? Oh, God. Completely harder. That's interesting. So hard to say a true thing, you know, to do that Hemingway, like write one true sentence. Right. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, um, that pretty that's hard. interesting. For me, uh, cooking is easy. It's a piece of cake. You're like, um, <laughs> the poems I, just for, yeah, flow no, out. <laughs> that's, I wonder. For me, I guess I talk about this a little bit in the food anthology. Is uh, I heard a writer say what I love about cooking. I mean, he was just a you know daily cook, um, but he said you know it's the opposite of writing, which is to say that like it's just gone. You know, if you do it well, it disappears. And I do think there's something really satisfying. And I know a, you know, and I say a little bit in the book that poets to me are the people who they love. You know, the way to get poets to love you is to cook for them and and get, you know maybe serve them a little drink maybe. Um, <laughs> And I think, you know, whether, and I think that that quality is what interests me, and that it's almost a literal intersection. You know, usually the eating, um, maybe it's after the poetry or before the poetry, but it's part of it somehow. Um, and part of that uh, desire to connect, I think. Because maybe it is because it's so different, because it's isolating. Um, I'm totally losing you. Okay, Sorry, I'm saying I that like to... there's a um, there's a quality of uh, poets just loving to eat and drink, you know, not necessarily something strong, just whatever. Um, and I, I think that that quality interests me because it does happen uh, with more regularity than other communities. I've I been see, in. right? Because we are already. I mean, I don't know, but I'm going to theorize that we are already committed to the messy work of sort of excavating mm -hmm. the soul and sure. the body and the mind and everything that we go through. And that's already a kind of hearty individual. So we're not the people who are just like, I'll just drink powder for dinner <laughs> and then go right. for a run. And then I'm going to, um, right. you know, sell chemicals to <laughs> like, that's not right. We're already. Um, <laughs> elbow deep in yeah. messy work that requires food and drink. Right, <laughs> I, think I agree. To, um, it's, yeah. it's not sterile or antiseptic, the work of a poet. It's, you gotta, you gotta get in there. That's true. And same with cooking. And so we're probably, um, we share certain appetites for um, sure. <laughs> how to um, feel better after you've done that kind of work. Right. Which is bourbon and barbecue, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Is that a good theory? Or that's a good theory. I'm, I'm throwing a few around here. I don't no, know. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah. Am I messing up your whole program? Not I at all. Like I, I don't have a program. <laughs> no, I think it's... Um, the, the Poet Society is never going to invite me back. <laughs> uh, no, they absolutely will. Um <laughs> I think, I, yeah. I think um, what else? What else haven't we talked about? I'm going to ask you a very ridiculously small um, technical question, but I was curious about it. Can you tell me about the ampersand? Gosh. In the poem? In my poems? Instead of the word and, I mean, yeah. you know, it's too funny. fatiguing to write out the whole word. Yeah, and, it's tiring. Yeah. Um, 
You know, it's funny because one time uh, someone asked me, a magazine asked me, to write about it because they had gotten a question or something. And I, I was like, my first impulse was no. I didn't want to write about it. And then my, they said, oh, please, please. And so I did. And then I got a nasty letter back, like, talking about how, <laughs> how like, he was, you know, how somehow my explanation, like, was justifying. I don't know what it was. Um, I, and I, so I was like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't say what it means to me. Um, it's because... I don't know if I can describe it adequately as just, you know, the short answer is it's just, you know, a habit. Mm-hmm. It's um, part of your thumbprint, your, yeah. your personal... I mean, you know, some of the poets I admire, I realized later, uh, did it. Um, Berryman, for instance. Um, but I also, I don't know, I, I think it has something to do with a spoken quality, um, if I had to hazard a guess. Um, interestingly, in the middle uh, section of Book of Hours, which is about... Uh, my son being born, I don't use them. I noticed. It comes in the beginning and the end, but not yeah. in the middle. So, don't ask me why. So, I don't know why then, but it seemed right. You know, it's a visual thing. It's, you know, poems are, it's sort of like, why that specific uh, thing? But I guess for me, it's that quality, the oral quality of the poem. Um, but when I say it out loud, if I were to read it or if I hear it in my head, I say and, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean... I think. I mean, I know it's a minutia, but it's also no, very real for me. I'm like, God, this whole stanza starts with an ampersand. And, um, you know, a poem that has 45 words. <laughs> right, right. So, why wait? Yeah, why add it's and? It's so interesting. In there? Um, you know, the other thing, this is uh, something I, I haven't ever talked about, is that I, um, when I was doing the Amistad book, which I started, uh, you know, when I was first writing, I mean, in 1990 or something, um, I came across some of their early letters, you know, reprinted in a book, and they had ampersands in them. And so I, I think I, it, it I also I had this wonder, kind like, of double quality. Is it in the Bible, too? Or like, <laughs> and the earth shall, and yeah. he shall, but it's not. It's well, always the word, right? sharper than me on that. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but, you know, that was, that was one of the things that, that um, had me going. Um, what about the process for you? I want to hear about that, like the process of... The ampersand, the word? <laughs> no, of, of just working on this book and, you know, when you were at Michigan, would you ever, were you writing about food then or did, did it come no. just... No, no, no. I mean, food had to show up in the book because I was um, invited into um, this world of book writing through the kitchen for whatever reasons, as we've talked about, chefs are of the moment and we're having our nice little time and um, so I knew when I was going to write the book that it had to be food related but I always wanted to be a real writer, a regular writer and not hyphenated food writer. Sure. So I took the invitation um, and then I, you know, I dressed appropriately. I wore the right outfit, and I brought the credit card fully loaded and was prepared to, you know, behave. <laughs> I provided all the food imagery that I possibly could, but then I tried to just go out of the gate and get as far away from food writing as possible. And um, I think a lot about the ampersand and the word sure. and, um, metaphorically speaking. Like, I really yeah. did count 
through each chapter. Like, how many times does the word blood show up right. in this whole book? And, oh, butter is very heavy in right. section two, and mm, too much blood. So just... Um, sure, yeah. I did that kind of combing and combing of... Um, you can ask me about any word, and I'm going to tell you why I should. I love it. <laughs> Only because I'm not as confident as you. It's not my day job. It's, like, huh. really my third job. So I have to be very meticulous and... Um, take care. It's not off the cuff. I have to um, work very hard, and sure. it matters so much to me that I don't want to do a bad job. And so, um, I it's guess like, it's a little it be like and or should it be? And you know, it's effed up in a lot of places. Like now that I, by the end of the writing, it you know, I really was a cook yeah. in the beginning, and I think by the end, I was like, God, I'm starting to. I feel a little <laughs> bit like a writer. <laughs> Just a few muscles getting some tone sure. at the end, and then I, it would be good to go into another book and not make a lot of the mistakes that I is made Is that what here. you're thinking? I'm not only thinking, but hell is that, is, what, is that in that bag? You got some, some words, <laughs> new words for us? No, no, no. I know. <laughs> no, I've just been spending the past year preparing the um, conditions to actually write a book where I'm not right. writing it on the line, squatting down on the mats, trying to get a few words sure. written down on the brown paper that we used to cover the tables. And, you know, the original manuscript for this, if there even is such a thing, is actually covered in steak fat and right. um, mayonnaise and It's edible itself. Wine. Yeah, it's like, God, is that black pepper in there? Anyway, so to actually, like, sit in a room and do a better job, right. one of the things that's always bothered me about my writing is that I no matter what I've written, is that I never had the time to let the paint dry and see what the true color was. Sure. Always being sent off wet. And later you're like, ugh, oh, huh. could have done a little better there. There's something about the spontaneity, though, um, that sometimes I, I like. Um, like when I was talking about those two different books, for me, Dear Darkness, the book I wrote right after my father died, I had started it before, and it became a very different book. He died, and then the poems that I had written, which were like about just going to Louisiana, suddenly they were elegies, mm-hmm. you know. And so I then wrote some elegies, these odes to food, which to me was a way to smuggle in, um, you know, they started off about pork and chicken, and then they really were about him, and then they became more explicitly about him, and those I felt like were more really about, I don't know, barbecue sauce by the end. So they kind of almost crisscrossed in the midst of writing them. And I had to kind of <clears throat> almost trick myself by saying, well, this is just an ode to pork. Exactly. And, um, and I thought that was really useful. You have to find a form, I think you is do. what we're saying. And for me, that, that form was this kind of folk form. Um, and I, I, maybe that's why I don't think about it so much, is because I think about folk forms more than I think of form forms, which you know I think they're the same. But... Um, strict form I don't always approach but I think you need that I mean my friend Natasha Trethaway you know has a beautiful book about her mother and it's very formal and I think that kind of distance or you know it's like you're thinking of the ampersand and not thinking about the dead person or the the loss or the <clears throat> the um but you have to have thought it and even written a lot of it down, all the, you know, what the playwright does, all the backstory that never even makes it into yeah. the um, line of dialogue on the page. But the fact that you know it is automatically going to inform the sure. cho- Your poem is not about raking leaves. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that bag of leaves, you know, you, but yeah. how can you um, 
imbue the poem if you haven't um, imbibed the the stuff. If you don't know, if you don't have all of those things at the um, at your call at yeah. your beckon, I think there's so much about memory in you know when I'm reading your work, of course. But I think about that in my memoir. Yes. <laughs> But even in the cook, you know, even in Prune, yeah, I think yeah. there's so much about um, sense and taste and memory, um, tactileness. Um, so I, I wonder about that. I mean, for me, I I never thought of uh, Book of Hours as a memoir, oh. but it has that kind of completely quality. Um, I should have just gotten rid of the line breaks and the ampersands. It's actually and, one of the only books of poetry. That's so fun to read from the beginning to the end oh. in a go. It's like, oh, this has a sort of memoir novelistic oh, feeling. Thank you. And poetry well, it's sort is... of like two years or something of one's life, you know, mm-hmm. of my life. The and it was a book that I wanted to wrench the meaning, and I feel like this happens in your book. Um, you're wrenching the meaning out of the actual things that happened, but not. I don't mean the facts, but I mean out of the tastes, the mm. the experiences. I wanted. You know, to, instead of writing about grief in a kind of metaphoric way, I wanted the dogs of my dad that I had to give away mm. to be the metaphor. Mm. Um, and so I think it was a way for me of, of, of making meaning, of finding meaning. Um, out of his death? To well, out of those memories. But I, I guess I'm thinking about what you said about you have to have experienced it. I mean, I almost think it was like forgetting. You know, the writing wasn't so much remembering it. It was a way of kind of creating this bubble around it or this space or this form to what is, of course, inchoate and just uh, messy. And I, th- I wonder about that. You know, maybe <clears throat> that's some kind of deeper way of thinking about cooking even, too, because to me, the, you're trying to establish order out of this, what you have been given. I think I can't go to the cooking right now, but I know that in writing this book, the, um, the fact of organizing the memories into a narrative, in fact, um, made sense of my whole life, mm-hmm. the lived life. All these sort of things that you remember in snippets, but then you have to put them down on the page. And does this one come first or after? And why are you telling this one and not that one? And you're like, oh, this is a way of actually knowing my own existence. And you could go back and write it a different way. And you, you probably will. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, one. Yeah, does. we're gonna do the comedy yeah. next. That'll be the yeah, comedy, <laughs> the rom com <laughs> version. <laughs> we're desperate. We're like, bring them. <laughs> um, I'm just curious um, whether you think there's a connection um, between. Cooking and writing around the vision. When you're cooking, um, you know, it's, it's got to move and it's got to be a certain kind of presentation. Um, but yeah. two weeks later, yeah. your vision based on experience, you had an audience. Um, whereas in writing, probably, I don't know so much about poetry, but the role of revision uh, is uh, an interesting role, but yeah. I think there's a role of revision also in cooking, but um, there's kind of... That's a great question. I know. About revision. I, yeah. 
I mean, I know I'm, I put food up to eat and for sale frequently that I have not plated before. And then by the end of three weeks, I'm, I have plated it differently or I've come to understand something about it or we change the pan that it gets picked up in. Um, it's less precious. I don't mean precious in the um, negative way, but less um, holy shit precious than writing for me. So the writing I would never put out into the public world until I had revised it to its nth degree and ready for mm. consumption. Whereas food is a more, for me, forgiving or I don't have much, um, I don't attach as much importance to it. It's going to be tasty. It's very good. If I change the cucumber dice to, you know, an eighth inch or a quarter inch next week, do you really care? It's going to be pretty consumable and good and um, more than well-intentioned. But I think the that writing, for me, the revision is the writing. The early part right. is the just vomiting onto the page and getting all your, you know, words out. And then you have to actually do something with it. And that's um, not for consumption. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah, I think revision is where it happens. Um, oddly, those food poems were ones that came much more, I don't want to say fully formed, mm -hmm. but that was... I don't know if that illustrates what you were saying before, but you know, I couldn't write after my father died, and then I filled like a notebook and a half just writing. You know, I think I wrote nine of them in a row, literally, like on a flight, uh, and and they just kept coming. And it was, you know, kind of a dam bursting, but it also had a different kind of quality to it. Um, maybe it was like a apostrophe or something, as they say, like a, a direct address to someone off stage. Um, and so it had a different quality that did feel more like what you're describing about, you know. I, Less I, intimidating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and so it wasn't worried about that. It, it had this uh, improvisational quality. Yeah. And that's what I like about both those. You know, it's sort of funny because we're saying on one hand, you know, the writing is really revision. But there is this improvisational, at least maybe it's, uh, they're the same thing somehow. The improvisation early and then the revision later. Yeah, when, you, when you say that um, to prepare food well or to satisfy appetite, um, you have to have a lot in your head around um, the magic of an egg, you know, blah, blah. And, um, smoke points and everything else. And all of that is visual, all of that is um, practice. And so writing has a lot of that in it. You have to have technique. There's technique in writing and cooking that are equally um, very hard to achieve and come from repeated devotion and um, mistakes. And I want to speak <laughs> ardently about the rigor of that technique. And, you know, in the beginning, you're sort of, um, you don't know what you don't know, and you just kind of slop it around. Then later, you know what you don't know, and you're really struggling. And then by the end, you're what they call, you know, um, consciously un con conscious unconscious, where you just do it second nature. Um, but I think these are the perils sometimes of... Um, both cooking and writing, that sort of everyone thinks they can do it. 
It's kind of like, oh, I got a stove and a cookie recipe. <laughs> and also, I got a story. <laughs> right. Oh, I got a story. It's, it's like, well, yeah, story. okay. But you need some technique to get that stuff onto the page properly right. or onto the plate properly. When you have it um, internalized and it's just, you're not thinking smoke point and you're not thinking, oh, second person, passive. You're just right. like, here we go. Um, this is the word that needs to happen here. Am I here? Perfect. <laughs> Is there something we don't like to cook or write about? Sex. I don't like to explicitly write about sex, and I don't like the words of sex associated with food at all. It's already... um, two giant topics that are really best quietly <laughs> handled. <laughs> I would have never guessed you'd say that. That's interesting. Well, I love to have sex and I love to eat, I just, yeah. but I just, Keep them separate. just feel fine that I'm fine. Like, yeah. I, And I'm sure you're fine, too, no, I and I don't need mean. to know all about it. And um. See, it's funny, because I come from this blues tradition and wrote a book called Jelly Roll that you know is about that link in a weird way, mm. um, but it's playful. You know, it isn't like hyper serious. I mean, and, and so I think in a weird way, that's how I approach both is from this blues lens, which is to say, you know, something improvisational, something deeply serious, but you're laughing about it. You know, um, to me, that's the only way you can talk about uh, these things without it becoming, you know ludicrous as you as you sort of intimate you know i mean there's a kind of right so you'll talk about anything you'll write about anything you'll cook anything yeah but um you have to bring the right tool right to the job the right technique yeah yeah for you it's blues yeah for me a bluesy approach yeah I guess I feel I feel like a prude now. I have the (laughs) (laughs) the puritan approach so not true Uh, no exactly that's so interesting. <laughs> one last one. A couple more. I was curious because there's kind of been changes that we can speak to the tradition you speak, which also speaks to the amateur writer or the amateur celebrity and what that relationship is. I'm curious what you think the difference is between writing or perhaps generally the professional art form Interesting question. Um, I guess I, I wonder: Is there are there professional poets? Um, I don't know. The fact that you would call that you would call yourself a poet, whereas someone who's cooking for the family and going to say, "I am a chef. I am a poet." Yeah. I'm providing their nourishment. I'm not sure that you necessarily. Maybe that's the case where they write. Well, is that an insufficiency of the language? Like, 
I'm a chef, you're a chef, Nigella's a chef, um, Jada's a chef, Danielle's a chef, the who's the one who mixes up the store-bought products? She's a chef. <laughs> like, I don't know what chef means. And I'm a writer, you know, yeah. you're a writer. I, there are people who are writers who don't even have to write their own books. You know, you get a ghostwriter. So I think that's some apprehension about the language itself or the title. But isn't there a kind of um, supreme excellence in every category? And that's the um, bona fides. That's the... The home cooking, there's some really bad home cooking, but there's some very good home cooking, and there's some very bad folk art, and some pretty rocking folk art. There's some shitty blogging, and some incredible blogging, and right. there's some all the stuff that comes out of Knopf. All. Some. Who's your publisher? <laughs> Where's your put anyway, plugs in? You know, yeah. so, I don't know, rigor and excellence, no matter the realm or category god i feel like i'm just chatting away so no no you're you're it's um, terrible i'm really the dishwasher and you're the poet so no not like, at all that's a, that's a really i think it's a really interesting question i do think I we know. get too worried about am i or aren't i um, <clears throat> and for me uh i spent so long even while i was writing those poems that became my first book not feeling like a poet and being really you know pulling out my hair almost literally um that i sort of snuck up on me you know, and I thought of myself simply as almost like a recording angel. I was just like telling, you know, not an angel, but a recording device or something, channeling these ghosts of my family, these stories of my family. Um, and that's one thing I did really respond to in yours book is just, and, and uh, blood, bones, butter, is just talk, telling those stories uh, and, you know, almost making them myth, you know. And for me, it felt like I was helpless to it. So it was really hard to say, well, yes, I'm a poet, because I was like, I didn't, as you almost said, there, you had no choice. I had to tell those stories. I didn't know another form that could tell them as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, sometimes people ask me, uh, will you write about music or are you a musician? I'm like, would I be writing poems if I was like a musician? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wouldn't I rather be rocking out, you know? Um, but at the same time, I come from a line of musicians, my grandfather, uh, and my grandfather's fiddles on the cover of my next book um, played Zydeco music. And, mm-hmm. um, and then on the other side are preachers. And, you know, I usually say that between the two, there's <laughs> some poetry. Um, so true. Let's please thank Kevin and Gabrielle again. Thank you, guys. Thank you, so Thanks for listening to the New York Public Library podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And please leave us a review. It really helps us out a lot. You can follow NYPL on Twitter or Facebook and sign up for our newsletter at nypl.org.